Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. you read an entry that has definitions in historical order, you're actually kind of reading the biography of the word. This is where it started. This is where it got its education. This is where it got married. Coming up on Word Matters, some dictionary demystification. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Neil Servan, Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. Dictionaries are pretty straightforward once you find your way past the weird pronunciation symbols and a few abbreviations, right? If there's more than one definition given, the one with the one beside it is definitely the main one, and the others are secondary and tertiary and so on, right? Sorry, no. But worry not, Peter Sokolowski is here to explain just what the order of definitions in a dictionary entry means. One common assumption of dictionary definitions is that the first definition that you read of a word is the most important one. And I think that's so common as a misunderstanding that, in fact, it's probably worth investigating. The point being, lexicographers and linguists often don't at all think in that way, and that leads to confusion, in fact, to a lot of confusion. And I find that when I speak to educators, for example, English professors, English teachers who teach English as a second language, they're often fascinated and surprised to learn that it's not always true that the first sense is the most important one. Is that something that has occurred to you guys as a problem? Sure. We see that all the time. People are constantly saying, like, the words primary sense. Right. The most correct sense. The main meaning of this right. word is meaning. because it has that little one preceding it. And then having secondary and tertiary meanings or something right. like that. When, in yeah. fact, most of the time when you look up a dictionary definition in Merriam-Webster's sources, historically, they have been in historical order. Right. And that's the case with the Oxford English Dictionary as well. They arrange the entries chronologically. Chronologically. So when we say historical order, even that seems to me kind of like inside baseball, because what we mean is the oldest sense is the first one. And it leads to a lot of extrapolations that we need to explain, I think. One of them being that if you read an entry that has definitions in historical order, you're actually kind of reading the biography of the word. This is where it started. This is where it got its education. This is where it got married. You can sort of track it down in a way etymologically, but certainly through its use in English over the centuries. And as a kind of word professional, I find that ceaselessly fascinating. However, it has to be said 
that to lots of people, maybe that's not the first and most important reason you're looking a word up. And it may not be so clear to everyone, especially if the first sense is, for example, a meaning that's completely lost in contemporary English. One of the things that you should also point out, I think, is that there are only one current dictionary that actually attempts to define all the meanings of a word in its English history. And that's, of course, the Oxford English Dictionary, where they attempt to trace the meanings of words back to Old English. They're the only ones that do this. It is one of the reasons why the last print edition of the book was 21,730 pages long. And they're approximately doubling in size as they go through the third edition. I mean, it would be insane for somebody to read that <laughs> yes, book, wouldn't it? Would it would be, but we can leave that alone for now. But, you know, Merriam-Webster, we are also, our unabridged dictionary is a historical document as well. It just does not have the same breadth as the Oxford English Dictionary. And for the third international dictionary, which I think we still hold to, that if a word was not still in common use by 1755, we would not enter it. Unless it also appeared in some kind of significant literature. Unless people were still going to possibly encounter it in some kind of serious academic study. Right. Chaucer and Shakespeare, their words were both still in. Sure. That's right. And they'd be labeled obsolete if that was the case. But Merriam-Webster's dictionaries typically include words that we have reason to believe that people are likely to encounter at some point in their lives. Right. So within this particularly broad tranche of the English language, we were ordering them in chronological order. However, there are possible senses of all these individual words which may have fallen outside of this time period. Yes. And also, because we're talking about the biography of a word or about the life story of a word, as we order the senses, we sort of give a story of how these senses have developed. Usually, in a lot of examples, if you look at sense two from sense one, you can almost see what caused sense two to develop by knowing the meaning of sense one. Sense one might refer to a physical object, whereas sense two might refer to a kind of a figurative sense of the word. It might refer to something that is analogous to the original object that was defined in sense one. This is how language develops. Mm -hmm. Meanings spread over time. They fall out of use sometimes. They alter. They twist. So that is how subsenses develop. That is how new senses develop. So to put them in the order that one caused another, showing a cause and effect of language tells the story of the word effectively, and that is one of the reasons why we want to put these things in historical order. One of the things that I find particularly galling, though, is that the people that Peter had kind of alluded to earlier, that not only do they think that the first sense of the word is the primary, the most important sense, but who know that they are ordered historically and still think that, well, the first historical sense is the primary sense, is the most important sense of the word. And it's an argument that on its face has a certain kind of value, so you can see why that would make sense. However, it really quickly falls apart when you start looking at a number of specific words. So, for instance, if we look at century, which we define historically on our unabridged, you will see the first, perhaps, primary sense of the word is a subdivision of the Roman legion, which mm. is not a <laughs> sense in which anybody is really using century nowadays. And if you look at century in our online dictionary based on the Merriam-Webster Collegiate Dictionary, you see the first definition we give is a period of 100 years. This is perhaps the most common. However, we would really like to stress that most common is by no means the same as saying best, or mm-hmm. most important, or most correct, or anything. We are not assigning value to these words. We're assigning 
perceived intent on the part of the user. This is one of the greatest defenses of historical order because of the limitations of the printed page, we do have to put one after another. And so it was decided at a certain point to order them so that that order conveys all by itself some kind of meaning, that by putting this second, that means it came after the first one. Not just that it's arbitrary, not that it's a grocery list of meanings, it's an actual list that itself conveys a meaning. Now, having said all of this, it has to be said also that that's not always what people are looking for when they look up a word in the dictionary. They just want to see what it means. And we know that this is frustrating to others. One example that sort of echoes what Ammon just said about the Roman legions is the word decimate which people love to point out, purportedly used in English to mean to select by lot and kill every tenth man of a Roman legion. That's a usage that I have never encountered other than inciting the definition itself. It's not a common use at all of this term, and yet we do still present that as the first definition, as did Noah Webster. But if you look at more recent dictionaries and some that are organized in slightly different ways, for example, our dictionary for non-native speakers of English, the Learner's Dictionary at learnersdictionary.com, we have, as since one at Decimate, to destroy a large number of or to severely damage or destroy a large part of something. And so we've actually dropped that Roman legion punishment sense altogether because nobody uses it. I want to jump in here for a minute with a real peeve of my own. We are thoroughly descriptive as bunch. We're not supposed to be prescriptive in any way. And I do try to adhere to that. But I have to say, the thing about decimate should only be used to mean killing one of every 10 people is a stupid peeve. (laughs) That is the hill upon which I am more than willing to die. (laughs) I don't know why this particular one got stuck in our peeving consciousness, but there are so many other words which we have in English which deal with specifically with Roman military history as their first (laughs) use. And nobody will ever say, oh, you know, an ovation. I used that as standing ovation. But, well, actually... Ovation was the ceremony for a Roman general who won a victory that wasn't so impressive. Mm. And if you said, oh, a rousing triumph, well, actually, in Roman military history, and the first use of triumph in English was for (laughs) the parade given to a general who had a resounding victory. If you say this stuff about, like, ovation and triumph, people are going to stab you in the eye with a (laughs) fork. Everyone around them will applaud. But for some reason, this absurd fidelity to decimate is viewed as like a character benefit rather than a tragic flaw. It's not even a tragic (laughs) flaw. It's an absurd flaw. It's a shibboleth. It identifies you as one of the group of people who knows that D-E-C represents 10 in Latin-based words or something. I totally agree. For example, nobody ever argues that nepotism should only apply to biological nephews which would be making the exact same argument. And so this is what we call etymological fallacy. Is that correct? Sort of arguing that the current meaning of of an English word should correspond to its original root word, etymon's meaning in Latin or Greek or wherever it came from. That was an eloquent rant. I think people (laughs) tend to hold dearly, especially those words that show obviously in their roots, especially when they pertain to numbers, because numbers encourage precision and numbers encourage exactness and counting. And so I think of the word myriad, referred to the sum of 10,000, and now can refer to, you know, it was a myriad of reasons. You're not talking exactly 10,000. The precision is lost. That's another word I think people often will complain about, is that lack of clinging to the precise meaning and then kind of gradually losing that precision and then just kind of having a more general meaning, perhaps used with a sense of exaggeration. I'm going to start complaining about December not being the 10th month. There we go. Yes, well, December Just to stick be, it to the man. Yes. And October is not the 8th month. But to get back to sense order, 
I think it's important to note that we are actively changing our procedure on the ordering of senses. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of my lexicographical career, it was very much our practice to order the senses, the different definitions at an entry in this historical order. And I remember being taught and just thinking of it as being like, well, it's hard to order things according to what is most common, you know, which sense of foot is most common. Is it the measurement or is it the appendage? What we can look at is actually the historical development of a word's meaning. It's semantic development. But as of a few years ago, our instructions as lexicographers are now to order the senses at an entry in whatever way is likely to be most helpful to Mm. the reader. Mm. (laughs) That's a big difference. It's a huge shift. Emily, you do a lot of the really complex polysemous entries in our dictionary. You do a lot of what I like to think of the, thank God I'm not doing that work, like defining (laughs) set and put and run the words which just have this dozens if not hundreds of possible meanings. Do you feel drunk with power when you sit down to like work on one of these? It makes it a different kind of a puzzle. No, there is no drunk with power. Tipsy with power. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, Emily mentions this, and, and I think we should put as a, as a kind of a footnote that Merriam-Webster's tradition had always been in this historical order, as was the Oxford tradition. But there are other ways of doing this and other dictionaries that have done the sort of most common sense as the first sense for decades, if not longer. And I believe that's the case for some of the great American desk dictionaries. The Webster's New World College Dictionary was marketed in many ways as being a more readable college dictionary than the Merriam-Webster one. That was their angle. So they used simpler language in the defining, and they ordered them in a kind of a common sense or the most common sense as the first definition. And I believe that is also true for the American Heritage Program, another great handmade dictionary. These were dictionaries that were founded in some ways kind of in opposition to the Merriam-Webster tradition from their beginnings had a different way of organizing things. It also has to be said that the Merriam-Webster dictionaries for kids are, of course, oriented in a most common first way. And the big change for Emily and me as definers at Merriam-Webster, we were there when this shift happened. And Neil, too. Because we did a project that required us to think about this in a different way, and that project was the Learner's Dictionary for non-native speakers that we mentioned before. And for that, we were given strict orders to change the order of senses and to make it more logical and use the most common sense first. And that really became the beginning of this change in all of our dictionaries because we recognized how much more useful it is to most people. But even as we shifted our procedure from strict historical order to, as Emily mentioned, the order that would be most helpful to the reader. Most helpful to the reader, even from an editor's perspective, that's a very subjective idea. Yes. Right? And so, but also one of the things that brought this on is the fact that we were kind of shifting to a digital product. We didn't have the linear visual definitions listed one right after another on the page. We had definitions that were kind of listed on this scroll site that could sometimes get really long for some entries. Mm -hmm. And I think we were finding as people were using the site, certain entries that might have been down at 12D might have gotten buried when they maybe deserve more obvious placement. There is still this effort, I think, when we define and arrange entries to still tell the story of the word in this clear way. One of the examples I think of an entry that changed its order is the noun mouse, M-O-U-S-E, which, of course, developed an obvious new sense when computers became prominent in homes. And for a long time, we had four senses at mouse. The first was the animal. The second was a timid person. 
The third was a dark-colored swelling caused by a blow, such as a black eye. The fourth being the computer accessory. Now, if you look on MerriamWebster.com, you will see that previously fourth entry, the computer accessory, listed second. But the story of the word is still apparent with this. Obviously, the animal is the first thing people think of when they think of a mouse. But these other senses take different characteristics of the animal mouse and then develop their own meanings. So the timid person, obviously, because we think of mice as being timid, as running away from when they're scared. A dark-colored swelling, we might think of the color of a mouse's fur, a field mouse being kind of a dark gray. The computer mouse, I've always presumed, was based on resemblance. It's got the little hump-shaped, <laughs> the way they used to be designed, with the cord coming out, which might be likened to a tail. So each of these almost individually kind of derive from that first sense. Telling the story of the word is not changed so drastically when that sense for a computer mouse was then moved to sense two. Sense two was up there because I think people were more likely to recognize that sense than they might have been the mouse that we think of as a black eye. But it is true that in an entry that has been reordered, you cannot trace the semantic development of the word the way that you used to. Right. But that's just part of the compromise. We do have Mm -hmm. a date for every entry that tells you which sense is the earliest sense that we enter and the year that sense came into use in English in an entry that has been reordered. You can't do that tracing any longer, which is why our listeners may still be interested in Merriam-Webster's Unabridged, which is still in historical order. Absolutely. So you look down at the date, and if it says, for example, sense three, then you can orient yourself at least to the origin of that word in English. And I find that to be very, very useful. When the patent was filed for the mouse, the inventor, Douglas Engelbart, referred to it on his patent filing as an XY position indicator for a display system. We do not actually define that. If you have a question or a comment, email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. Also, let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us on Apple Podcasts. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by John Vosey and Adam Maid. For Neil Servan, Amon Shea, and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.